Good morning, beloved Orangewood. It really is kind of cozy to be up here, isn't it? It's kind of nice. It's my biggest fear. Can I tell you my biggest fear? That you all figure out that we could do a service in 45 minutes and say, what have we been doing all this time, right? As I was walking up here, uh, Judy Walker asked, hey, are you going to give an update on your mom? And I thought, you know, I, I really hadn't planned to, but it's probably good that I do. And let me first of all say thank you so much, Orangewood for your, your thoughts, your prayers, your concern for the Jakeses. Uh, my mom is suffering with Alzheimer's. She had a stroke, I guess, about a month ago. Um, and uh, really, in many ways, not well uh, physically. Um, biggest prayer request for her is swallowing again. We don't know if that's Alzheimer's-related or stroke-related. My dad is doing amazing as a caregiver. On top of that, my sister has had her fourth surgery for cancer. This time, it's Sloan Kettering. Um, the last one was 11 hours. This one, they got done in just nine. And so, uh, but she needs prayer as well. Um, uh, so I would appreciate uh, prayers for both of them. But I can also say to you, and it's not just your pastor saying this, and these aren't just words. God's amazing. In the midst of darkness, light shines. In the midst of things that are broken, we see a hope in Christ. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's easier to see than others. And, uh, but I'm just telling you, I feel like we're in a season of a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow. Um, but a lot of grace and a lot of light that is shining. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me, we're going to look at 2 Kings. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Kings for the next few weeks, and we're going to look at stories from the prophet Elisha. Now, there was one before him. His predecessor was Elijah, uh, two incredible prophets of the Lord. And as I wrestled with what are we going to do up here in this space, I just felt like this is a great place for stories, is it not? This is kind of feels like, uh, let's look at God's word, his Old Testament, some stories, and, and let's see how they affect our lives. But let me remind you, if we're in 2 Kings or Genesis or Revelation, every story of the Bible whispers Jesus' name. I mean, there's one hero of the Bible. There, there's one that we look to. There's one that every story points to, and it's going to be God's own son, our Savior Jesus. So as we hear this story, um, let's hear it uh, with ears of the gospel and say, show us Jesus and show us ourselves in this story. In this, story. this first week, we're going to look at, it's, I'm going to call it kind of a, uh, a, a tale of two women. We're going to look at a tale of two women. And again, I mentioned, I spent a lot of last week uh, in New York City. Uh, my sister's latest surgery was at Sloan Kettering Hospital in New York City, which, by the way, I hope you don't ever have to go. But if you do, I've been in a lot of uh, uh, hospitals. I mean, an incredible hospital. They say some of the best of the best of the best are there. And sadly, that is kind of what she needed. So for her fourth cancer surgery, a couple done in Shands, one emergency in Tallahassee, this one up at Sloan Kettering. But just before her surgery, when she arrived from Florida, another one of our dear friends, a young 22-year-old girl named Alyssa, also went to Sloan Kettering. She too had been there before, and she actually had to get there this time by ambulance from upstate New York. That was about a four and a half or five hour ambulance ride uh, because of her severe headaches, because the melanoma that she's been wrestling with. Now, this is a 22-year-old girl. She was just about to celebrate her first anniversary in marriage. Uh, and she started to, to wrestle with melanoma back at 15. And so we've been walking with her for many years. And, and now at 22 and all the latest technology, all the latest therapies trying to to really bring health to her, um, they found that, that the four tumors remaining in her brain had actually gotten bigger. And the brain had swollen, and so she needed to go 
uh, and have treatment at Sloan Kettering. But in God's providence, in, in, a, in a really bizarre kind of twist of things, I found two people I really care for in the same hospital in New York City, you know, far, far way away, and how their stories were connected through cancer. Uh, now they're both battling there in the same uh, hospital. And I'm just so uh, grateful that I was able to, to see her. It's kind of weird because it's like I usually see her. They have a a cottage next to my folks' cottage in upstate New York. That's the relationship. And I usually see them on a much easier, better time, like on vacation or up there at the cottage. To see them in the hospital is a lot different. But I was just overwhelmingly grateful that I could be there and overwhelmingly grateful that I could pray for her. And I was only overwhelming. I knew I was there for my sister, but to be able to kneel by her bread. And, and I remember even the conversation I had with her husband as we went out uh, uh, to go get a slice of New York pizza. He says, is God mad at me? You know, I'm, I'm reading through uh, the Psalms and I'm just wondering, is God mad? And, and it was so wonderful to be able to say to this young boy, I said, I can't, I mean, God's ways are my ways and his thoughts are my thoughts. And I don't understand all this happening, but I can promise you this. As a Christian, you are experiencing none of God's wrath because he poured all of it out on his son. I mean, this God is a just God. He's not a God of double justice or, or double jeopardy, I should say. And so, no, it's not. He's not mad at you, but we live in a fallen world. So, the tale of two stories that connected these two women and Sloan Kettering was pretty amazing this last week. Well, Elijah is going to tell us a tale of two women connected in Elijah's ministry and life here in 2 Kings 4. One's going to be a poor widow. And this poor widow, I mean, I'm telling you what, it's, she's in dire straits, and many of us can relate to that. Um, she's poor. She just lost her husband, who was a prophet of God, and he, was, uh, he feared God. This was a this is like a believing family. This is like a family that we would know here. Some say that her husband might have been an Obadiah. We don't know. Um, and because he died and they were financially not prepared for that, um, she was in debt. And the creditors were about to take her two sons and put them into slavery. Now, that sounds really odd, doesn't it? But that's something that happened back then. It was, it was a part of their custom, even some of their laws. If you fell into debt and you couldn't pay it, even if you're a widow, uh, they might take your sons to work off that debt until like the year of Jubilee or, or a certain time frame. So she was in dire straits. Um, there's another woman who's in this story that she's quite different in many ways. This was a rich woman. This is a rich woman who seemingly had it all. As a matter of fact, uh, you're going to find out when Eliza said, what can I do for you? She's like, man, are you kidding? I, I live with my own people. I got, I got it all. This woman felt like she had it all. But what she didn't have... Was, was, was a son. She had great faith in God. She had a lot of resources. Uh, she was an incredible woman, but she didn't have a child. And so there was a promise given to her of a son and a promise that was delivered to her. And then, and then that son was taken away. And, and then, well, let's get to the story in a minute. But here's what we're going to see. You're going to see the gift of dignity, the gift of ability, and the gift of vitality through these things. Let's listen to God's word in 2 Kings 2, verses 1 through 37. It's two stories, how these two stories collide. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditors have come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Now, this is in 10W40. 
This is oil that she would cook and make bread from and, and, and provide for her sons. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And she poured. Uh, but as, and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God. And he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, behold, now I know that that is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to the Gehazi, his servant, by the way, Gehazi is going to appear in each one of these stories. He's got a checkered story, kind of a guy with a mixed bag, but you'll find more about him uh, next week. Call this Shunammite. This is this wealthy woman. When he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, Gehazi, say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband's old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, oh, my, my a man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elijah had said to her, when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father, uh, with his, to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, all is well. Clearly, she doesn't want to speak to Gehazi. 
And when she came to the mountain of the man of God, she caught, caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he rose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, the child is not awakened. When Elijah came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind him and the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself upon him. The flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth of the house and went up and stretched himself upon his, the child. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her. When she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, come and make sense of this story. Show us, Jesus. May the things that I say are wrong or merely my opinion fall away. But the things that are said that are true and contain the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, um, our, our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. The first thing we're going to see here is this, the gift of dignity. And by the way, I don't know if you can even see to take notes, but if you can, there should be an outline for you there. It's interesting for both women, Elisha's going to ask both women, what can I do for you? Anytime we come up with someone in need, oftentimes we think we know what they need. We know what we can do, but there's such dignity of a man of God or our God himself who will ask and not assume, what can I do for you? I remember Saul Cruz, who, uh, incredible man of God who's now with Jesus that many of us know for his incredible ministry and life in Mexico. And when he was visiting here in Orlando one time, I took him down to Holden Heights area and restore Orlando back then. And I told him all the great plans I had for that area. I told him, we're going to build a school here. We're going to have this there. And, he, and I'm going on with all my plans. And he just was kind of looking at me and politely said, um, and by the way, what do the people in the neighborhood want? I'm like, oh, I, I didn't bother ask. I just came here with my own plan and my own solution to everything. It was interesting. I, I love the story about Saul. He went into one very remote area of, of, of uh, Mexico and an area that had many, many needs. And he asked them the question, what can I do for you? What can we do? With such dignity with that. And their response was quite amazing. They said, we would like musical instruments. What? We, not, not a well, not a school. You want musical? Why do you want musical instruments? Well, we're the only community here that doesn't have a marching band. And everybody has a marching band around us. We would like to have instruments. And so he provided for them 
musical instruments for a marching band that really opened the door to so many other things of the gospel. It's just that, that dignity, uh, that dignity of asking, what can I do for you? There's an amazing story in the gospel of Luke where Jesus is confronted by a blind man. It's Luke chapter 18. I'm gonna start reading in verse 35. And he drew near to Jericho. This is Jesus. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and he heard a crowd going by and he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him, be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came to him, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? I love that. And you think that, you know, here's a blind man getting like, you know, of course you know what he wants to ask. But there was such dignity of what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he covered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave great praise to God. It's the gift of dignity. C.S. Lewis will remind us in the weight of glory, saying that we've never met an ordinary person that you and I have never talked to a mere mortal. Every person in need around us needs to be given the gift of dignity. We should always find that dignity in Jesus. I mean, he's made all of us in his image, every single one of us. He's purchased us with his blood. We should always be willing to give dignity to others. So that's, that's the first easier one. But then you see this great gift of ability. He asked the second question, especially that first woman, what do you have? She's like, I got nothing. We got nothing in this house except for a little jar of oil. Now this is not... 10W40, uh, this is oil that she would use to make bread. This is oil that she would use to, to, to cook and to provide for, for her family. And she said, that's all I got. I love what this story tells us, is, this, is that God wants to use what we have. Listen, God wants to use what you have, not lament what you don't. He's given you certain gifts. He's given you certain abilities. What do you have? And he says, take what you have, and I want you to pour out what you have. You have very little, but pour it out. Don't hoard it. Don't try to save it. Pour it out. And I love it is as she poured it out in faith, responding to this man of God, God refills. God pours it out. And here, here's the point to all of us. What has God given you? What gifts and abilities? A gift of hospitality, a gift of a, of a certain trade, a, a gift of, of something. What has God given you resources? He's saying, pour it out. Pour it out into others and see God refill it. God is the one who's given us our gifts, given us our abilities. And I love what this is, is that God fills empty vessels. Isn't that good news? You feel like an empty vessel? Boy, I tell you, this last month or so, I feel like a pretty empty vessel. Then to realize there's such good news of the gospels that he pours into us. We should always find our ability in Jesus, whatever we have, what is what God has given you? You can't say nothing. It might be a small jar of just a little bit of oil. What has God given you? Pour it out. Pour it out into empty vessels. And then we see in this the gift of vitality. It was, it was Jesus who would pour out his blood, right? This is the gospel to fill us. I mean, empty vessels. It's Jesus who, who by nature, we are, are children of wrath, who would, who would give us righteousness and would robe us of his righteousness. It's Jesus who 
who would pay all our debts. It's an incredible story that, that Elisha, through the power of God, was able to take this little oil, multiply it, so her debts were paid, and she was set free. But don't you know, that's kind of the pointing to the gospel of us, that our debts were paid, the wages of sin were paid on the cross, we've been set free, and the charge to us is to go live on the rest of God's grace is for us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. This is only a cool story unless the gospel story has transformed your life. If the gospel story has transformed your life, you realize, wow, I'm a lot like that woman. I'm an empty vessel that by the grace of God and the blood of Christ and the righteousness of Christ, he has poured into me. He has filled me with love and truth and he has paid my price of sin and he has set me free. It's an incredible story of a son who was raised to life, a promised son, a gift of a son, uh, and then to be make a, a, an heir. I love what this woman says. I didn't ask for this son. You gave it to me. Now the pain of losing, it's even greater. And God in his grace raises him back. There's a story of the Bible. It's a story of a promised son who would lose his life and be raised back to life so that we could have life and life abundantly. You know, it's interesting because this woman had great faith, but I, I know that this, going through this world, that it wasn't her great faith that raised her son. It was God's grace. And sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he does. But we have the promised son of Jesus who did rise from the dead for all of us, all of us who are his. That reality forever changes our lives. We always should find our vitality in Jesus. He's our identity. He's our security. He's our vitality as we're connected to him. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you read these stories, and you can see Jesus, and you place yourself rightly in the story to realize who we are and the grace of what he's done for us. It truly sets us free. Amen? Amen. We did it. That's a long passage of scripture too, wasn't it? <laughs> Don't expect that every Sunday, all right? All right, let's pray together. Father God, thanks for stories like these. The stories that are just, <laughs> they're great stories. But they're more than great stories. They're living stories that point us to a living Messiah named Jesus. Thank you that for the grace of seeing ourselves in these stories, in these women. Either we're poor of what the world has us uh, given us, or we have many things the world's given us. And the reality is, is we're empty without you. And thank you for a gift of a son named Jesus who would come and die and be raised back to life so our sins can truly be forgiven so we could be given his righteousness and filled up with the Holy Spirit so that we could live. God, I pray specifically that each one of us would leave here thinking of what, 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 do, what do I have? What do I have? What's been given to me? May we pour that out for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.